The second thing I'd like to address is somewhat specific to the military, although I think it applies really to all professions. Seeking help will not adversely affect your career in the military, or if you're a firefighter, or if you're a nurse, or if you work in the grocery store. Seeking help isn't going to hurt you. Not seeking help for an alcohol problem is what's going to end up hurting you. If you have a problem with alcohol, you're not alone. There is help available. And just seek that help. We're here for you. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, it's a new month, and you know what that means. I do. It's a new cookie of the month. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the new grapevines are here. Oh, yes. <laughs> In the photo section, I was delighted to see a picture of a meeting room I just visited last May, Serenity by the Sea in Carolina Beach, North Carolina. It's a nice room in a freestanding building, and a guy, when I was there, perhaps the group secretary, he was opening grapevine envelopes before the meeting. Hmm. Did he finish before the meeting was over? <laughs> he did. He had this method of pulling them apart by the seam in the middle, but he was panting a little bit by the time he was done, because those things are hard to open. That's <laughs> tough work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... and he opened five of them, and he put the June issues out on the table. They're free for the taking for everyone, and he told me the home group keeps five subscriptions. Ooh, that's a good idea. Listeners, ask your home group about getting a subscription or two. The theme of the August issue is AA in the military. How do you find meetings on a military base? Is it even okay to go to a meeting? How do sober soldiers deal with anonymity? I got it. You said sober soldiers. You said I got sober, sober soldiers <laughs> out on the first try, and I just did it again. In the touching story, active duty, a military dad gets busy in AA and learns to show up for his family as a new man. In one of the guys, an Air Force pilot thought she wasn't an alcoholic. After all, she could out drink and outperform all her coworkers in the sky. I understand that misguided way of thinking. I'm not an alcoholic because I can drink all of you under the table. Yeah, I understand uh -huh. that. In military members, we're listening to retired military AA members serving the general service office on military outreach share their experience with the Armed Forces Interview Project. What is that? We're about to find out. We have one of those retired members on the show today. We'll welcome Tom P. from Bradenton, Florida. He and Jerry C. talk about AA's Armed Forces Interview Project on page 24 of the August 2023 issue. We'll get to know Tom and learn all about the Armed Forces Interview Project, and we're going to play one of the audio interviews he's conducted. We'll hear Nikki. It's a jam-packed issue this month and a jam-packed show. Exactly what kind of jam is that? Hey, who put all this grape jelly inside of my grapevine? Don, you know what's happening next month? Whoa, the new grapevines are here. Hey, Ooh, 
down, calm down. That's not what I was thinking. September is the launch of the new Grapevine and Lavinia apps. Yes, that's a big woo. Yeah. I can't wait to see everything Grapevine in one place. It's going to be so cool. I know you'll be able to search the story archive, but I wonder if you'll be able to filter that search by character defect. You know, like, well, like for me, martyrdom. Martyrdom. Don, that's just selfishness dressed up in a tuxedo. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Don, we are fast approaching our 100th recording, and I've got an idea. What's that? Well, listeners, call or write to us about your favorite segments. What made you laugh? What brought a tear? What's something that you just had to share with someone else? Give us the episode number and, if you can, the time so we can find it. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. Hey, Sam, how can I support the AA Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. I'm Tom P. and I'm an alcoholic. I live in Bradenton, Florida. My sobriety date is May 30th, 1986. My home group here is the Under the Trees group, which meets every day at 1130 in Bradenton. So if you're ever in the area, please come by and see us. Is that an outdoor meeting? Under the trees? It is an outdoor meeting. If it gets too hot, we do move inside the church. Gotcha. And, you know, under the trees, because I, I, that's a good transition, because, you know, there was a time when I was finding myself under the bushes. Uh, I did that. I woke <laughs> up in the bushes. <laughs> Tom, thank you for joining us. So, Tom, when did you get sober? So I got sober in uh, May of 1986. I woke up on a Friday morning and I just knew that if I would have told one more lie, it would have been all over. So I found myself getting on my knees. I asked God for help. I picked up the telephone book, looked up Alcoholics Anonymous. A lady named Elaine answered the phone. I went to my first meeting that night and I haven't had a drink since then. Wow. Now, how did you know to look up Alcoholics Anonymous? I, I, I don't know. I had not been through treatment. I didn't get in any trouble, if you will. I hadn't had any counseling or anything, but I was just at that point, as Bill talks about on page eight, where quicksand surrounded me in all directions. I was at the turning point, and after getting on my knees and asking for help, uh, that's just what happened to me. It was interesting that you said you just couldn't tell one more lie. It sounds like that for you, it was a real inside thing that happened to you to surrender. It's like, I cannot do this anymore. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I was 26 years old at the time. I was drinking at least a fifth of hard liquor every day. And if I didn't have a drink by five o'clock at night, I was trembling and breaking out in cold sweats. That's a hard life. It, it was very hard. 
just to continue on that day. I went to work that day and five o'clock came. And what happened to me was I did not break out in the cold sweat and I did not tremble on that day. I was very fortunate that that compulsion to drink was just removed. And the only thing that had changed at that point was I had talked to another alcoholic on the telephone. Hmm. You said that you got down on your knees and prayed and then called. You already had a sense of a higher power or a relationship with God before you came to AA, or was that also a surrender? So I did certainly didn't have a relationship with God. I had done everything I could to run away from that. I was raised, you know, in a faith that I abandoned in my uh, early 20s. And certainly the more I drank and the more my behavior got bad, I hid and ran away from that God. But in that moment of desperation, you know, who, who else is there to turn to? Mm. And that's what that's what happened. In your experience of working the steps, what was a stumbling block in doing some of that work that required a little bit of nudging, perhaps? Yeah, I was thinking about this just the other day, actually, because what happened to me was I got a sponsor pretty quickly because everybody was asking me and I didn't like having to say no. <laughs> So I did get a sponsor. You know, I was going to meetings every day at the time. But as I look back on it, really what had happened for about the first five or six months, I was just doing what we used to refer to as the three-step waltz, you know, just one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. People would ask me, are you working on your fourth step? I said, oh, no, I'm thinking about it. I'm getting to it. You know, I'm kind of just because life had gotten better just by not drinking. Mm-hmm. Let me interrupt for a moment to describe the one, two, three waltz for those who don't know what one, two, three even means. So shorthand for the first steps are one, I can't, two, he can, three, I think I'll let him. Then you go back to one, I can't, (laughs) he can, I think I'll let him and never go to making a searching and fearless moral inventory, which is step four and then five, sharing it with another person. So avoiding that is one, two, three waltz. Yeah, exactly. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. And in those first three steps, while I am, you know, behaving better, I'm still the same person. And uh, so at about six months, it was another Friday night of doing those, you know, one, two, three walls. And I was just in so much pain at home. I called my sponsor and I said, Joe, I can't take the pain anymore. And he said, I'll be right over. And Joe came over and he threw a legal pad at me and a pen. And he said, start writing. And he proceeded to rearrange my kitchen that night. He moved things from one cabinet to the next. And after he was done, he'd look over the counter and say, you're done yet? No, I'm not done yet. And then he'd rearrange it again. And then after about three hours, he looked over, he said, are you done? And I said, yeah. And he stopped rearranging my kitchen and he came and sat down. And then we talked about what I had written. That was my fifth step. And then, you know, I had the causes and conditions in front of me. At that point, I had my character defects, which after that discussion, that fifth step with him, it was very clear to see what my character defects were that had come out. And he held this piece of paper in front of me and he said, do you want to be like this? Well, that's a no brainer. I don't want to be like this. He said, "Okay, that's step six. Right. And then he said, let's get on our knees. And we said the seventh step prayer. Of course, because of that, I also had the list of people to whom I owned owed amends. So in that night and that Friday night, I went from having just done step one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And that night I had gone four, five, six, seven, eight, 
and I was ready to start working on the amends. I say that in that night, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, those static steps, became an escalator. Mm. And one just very easily moved into the next one. It's beautiful. I got chills listening to that. I mean, what a wonderful example of how one step leads into the next. And you can't jump ahead. I got to keep doing it. I've got to move forward. What was the problem with the fourth step that kept you from doing it? And how would you help someone who is doing the one, two, three waltz? (laughs) You know, I don't, as I look back on it, I don't, I don't think that I was belligerent and like it was a problem and I'm not going to do it. I think there was probably some fear there that, you know, why do I have to do this? I'm feeling better. Things are not as bad as they were. So, you know, why upset the apple car? Mm-hmm. But as far as somebody who might be hesitating on doing the fourth step, you know, the best thing I can say is what my current sponsor has pointed out to me when we went through the steps a couple of years ago. And that's that all I'm trying to do is get rid of those things that are blocking me, getting those things that are blocking me off from the sunlight of the spirit. And once I can clean that out, then there's nothing between you and me or between me and God. And I'm free at that point. Well, the way you've described this is so clear how the steps work. Can you share how making amends change like a specific experience? Sure. The last time I made amends, I visited my in-laws. You know, there was nothing egregious that had happened you know, between us. But I just, as I went through the steps, I realized that, you know, I was probably holding back what love, concern for them just out of my own fear or my own selfishness. And when I saw that, I realized I, you know, I had to make those amends. And I made the trip to visit them. And and I sat down with them and they were, they were scared because they weren't sure why I was there to talk to them. Mm. And they said, Tom, are you sick? Are you are you going to die? You know, and what touched me the most about that was how much they really cared for me and loved me and how standoffish I had been and how callous I had been towards them just in my behavior. I guess that's what comes to mind most is, you know, that there were just little things that I had done and, and being asleep while sober, right. And just not tuning into those things as I should. And realizing the damage that they did. They were worried about me. Mm. You know, talk about peeling the layers of the onion. When I was going through making my amends, the things that were so important were the big things. You know, the money that I had stolen, the, the lies I had told, things like that. And as we live in this program, we find the subtler things, the things that we miss in that first pass, maybe the second or third pass even. Right. Or we discover, like happened to me, in making amends to my mother for all the money that I, quote, unquote, borrowed from her and never paid her back. And I came with a check and was ready to do that and sat and talked to her. She was like going, what's going on, Tom? I I made an appointment with her. I took her to dinner, to a pizza place, and sat down to talk to her. And I gave her the check and she said, I don't want your money. This is what I want to have this conversation, to have you here. And I realized that was the amends I needed to make. And I was able to make it from that point on. But 
uh, thanks for reminding me of that. How did you make that amends to them? Just what my sponsor told me. He said that he said, Tom, the goal is one amend a day. I was 32 years sober at the time. And I was like, okay, I've never heard that before, but okay. But how do I do that? I got people in several states. You know, I said, and then I stepped into the trap and said, can I make the men's over the telephone? And he said, did you hurt them over the telephone? <laughs> I said, no. And he said, well, then I guess you got a road trip coming up. Did you stay in touch with them afterwards? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Did your vulnerability with them increase? What, what changed from that amend was my willingness to be available to them. Nothing changed on their end. Yeah. Right. But for me, I realized from the step work, you know, when the phone rang or when we made a phone call or when my wife and I would visit them, it was a reminder for me to be present. Yes. I, not to check out. Yes. I'm Mr. Checkout. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do that, but that is an amends I got to make. I'm not perfect. Let's touch real quick on the uh, so-called maintenance steps, 10, 11, and 12. So 10, continued to take personal inventory. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. And 12, carry this message to others. Uh, you know, for me, it's important every day to start my day with a morning routine. This has to do with reading that I do with meditation and with prayer. That sets the course for the day. As I go through the day, I do what the big book tells me. You know, if I get agitated or disturbed, I pause. You know, I make phone calls to other AAs or my sponsor if those things happen. You know, on good days, I don't just blindly kind of pursue Tom's will throughout the day, right? If I find myself doing that, which I do because I'm not perfect, again, I pause, reconnect with, you know, with my higher power, try and connect with another alcoholic. I try to build in in the afternoon a break for some meditation. Mm. And then I do a nightly review each night, which is really the 11th step, which you ask about. You know, before having the discipline of an 11th step at night, I really was trying, but until I was taught how to do it, uh, you know, the, the 11th step really consisted of, okay, I didn't drink, I didn't kill anybody today, everything's okay. Well, there's a lot more. And actually going through, was I resentful? Was I dishonest? Was I angry? Was I afraid? Do I owe an amend? Going through the questions that the big book outlines in step 11 really put the focus on how I'm showing up each day. And if an amend is due, it points me in the direction of making that amend the next day. And then this kind of really sets me up for success the next day, right? One day is better than the next day, which is better than the next day. And that's been my experience in AA. As far as the 12th step goes, passing it on, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, trying to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs, I do sponsor other men. It's a great privilege to share my experience with another man and, and just to walk this journey shoulder to shoulder and to see other men come out of their caves, come out of the darkness, just like I did when Joe was there 37 years ago. Yeah. It, it's a joy to be able to do this, isn't it? Speaking of 12-step work, there's something in particular that you've been working on, Tom, and that is the uh, Armed Forces Interview Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. This has been a lot of fun, actually. Uh, a couple of few years ago, the AA Fellowship at conference identified 
a need to do better outreach to active duty military members in the United States and Canada. And as a result of that desire to improve outreach, AA started to do work on that. And they got two consultants to work with one of the trustees committee. Uh, Jerry C is representing this work for uh, the Canadian military, and I get to represent this work for the U.S. military. Specifically, what the conference had asked was that we gather audio interviews from active duty service members who are sober. And about a year ago, what Jerry and I did through the grapevine, which was a great help in getting this word out, we spread the word that we were looking for active duty service members to be interviewed. We got more than 200 responses. It was incredible. We asked for people to call a couple of times on the podcast, I believe. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it was there was great support across the board for the project. So we got those in. At the end of the day, we ended up with 22 final products. I think you have one of them that you're going to play today. That's right. Five of them we intend to have on the AA and or Grapevine website by the end of this year and the balance by the end of next year. And on YouTube. Right. And any other sources that can meet this audience, this population that we're trying to reach, the service member that may have a problem with alcohol. You mentioned that we want to get this out on whatever platforms we can to meet people where they're at. What does that look like in an active duty situation? Because we're talking about people who are not necessarily on active duty in the U.S. and Canada. They're around the world, right? Right. Yeah. Service members are deployed all the time or or assigned overseas. So another part of the project that is addressing what you're asking about is the outreach to senior military leaders. And what we're looking at doing is having one of our Class A trustees and a consultant start to make office calls on, say, the chief of the chaplain corps for the United States Army or the Canadian Army and the Navy and the Air Force, to the head of personnel, maybe, maybe to the surgeons general. So to those touch points within the military services where they're likely to be encountering service members with alcohol problems. If we can get to whoever runs their treatment centers so we can at least start the discussion. I, I describe this as kind of a, a PICPC call on steroids, right? Yeah. Public information and cooperation with the professional community. Right. We could go out there and remind them that Alcoholics Anonymous is still here yes. and what we do and what we don't do. You know, a lot of times you guys may have seen this. You know, we have military bases with barbed wire around them and all that kind of stuff. And there's people in there, right? Well, AA is just outside that gate. AA is in the churches or the community centers or the clubhouses just a mile or two away from that base. Many times AA is actually on the base. Somebody is holding meetings there. I think the real challenge here is how do we bridge the gap between all those people on that side of the fence to the community, the vibrant AA community outside of the fence and make sure that that connection is there. I think it's so important that AA continually find ways to communicate that we're here and we exist, even though an active alcoholic like me, I saw that sort of thing and it just went, boop, nope, not looking. I don't see it. Nope, doesn't exist. But then when the time came, and I suspect this is what happened with you, Tom, who didn't know where you had heard of it. 
but you had an idea that I need to reach out to AA. Because you never know when someone's going to suddenly realize, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. I cannot continue. And suddenly I need AA. <laughs> and I didn't need it one minute before. Mm-hmm. That's right. The other thing I'll, I'll just throw out there for the listeners is the pandemic really opened our minds to virtual meetings. And this has helped the military quite a bit. You mentioned about overseas and especially in deployed locations where maybe there isn't a meeting available or there can't be a meeting available because of the environment. Mm -hmm. But with the online meetings now, a lot of that gap has been closed. So that's available. And then, of course, we had the Grapevine publication, which is also helpful. I was thinking before we got together today, generally, I've always heard that, you know, one in 10 people is an alcoholic, just as a thumbnail. Well, it's the same in the military, right? If I'm in a unit with, you know, 100 people, guess what? There's probably 10 people in here kind of in the same boat as I am. And I don't have to be afraid to let that be known in the right fashion Mm -hmm. so that we can connect and help each other. So where are the audio tapes? Well, I'm calling them tapes. (laughs) That's so old. (laughs) That's so 1980. Where are people going to be able to get these reel-to-reel recordings and cassettes, Tom? (laughs) First thing, we have to get them finished. They're going to put them on AA.org and the Grapevine website and YouTube. Okay, so it's kind of early at this point. It's in production, and it's going to be available soon. We'll announce it when it becomes available. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Tom, I'm curious because I know from my experience that doing service work changes me. How has doing this project affected you? Yeah, certainly doing any kind of service work improves my sobriety. It deepens it. And this project has done that. The opportunity to provide service to the general service board to see how everybody at GSO and at AAWS are working for the fellowship. They're not there for themselves. They're not there doing what they want to do. As a matter of fact, they can't do what they want to do, right? They can only do what the conference asks them to do as trusted servants. And to actually, you had mentioned the sausage earlier, making this up, to, to, be, to have the opportunity to see how that works and that it works has been very humbling last year to stand in the general service conference and see all of the delegates and the participants there and to realize that we're all pulling in the same direction that we have that unity and that singleness of purpose was just overwhelming i mean it it just i think some people feel like that aa the direct service of me reaching out what i do with another alcoholic to help them get sober is the most important part of aa and it is absolutely the most important part of aa but the same thing is happening in general service that you described so beautifully tom of all these people joined together what are we doing? We're trying to communicate that there is hope out here and that we know a way to stay sober, to offer that hope to others. It's the same thing as the direct service, but it's, you know, it feels like it's more diffused. Well, with direct service, I know who I'm helping. With general service, I just have an idea. General service is what makes direct service possible. Tom, Is there anything that you didn't get to share that you'd like to? 
So in summary, what I would like to pass on are things that I heard during the interview project. You're not alone. I heard this consistently through all of the interviews that I conducted. You're not alone. It's okay to ask for help and there is help available. Incredibly important messages to be out in the world. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Thanks, guys. And now we're going to hear a clip from the Armed Forces Interview Project. We're going to listen to Nikki tell a little bit about her story. If you have any questions about the Armed Forces Interview Project, you can email militaryoutreach at aa.org. Hi, my name is Tom and I'm an alcoholic. In an effort to improve outreach to members in the armed services who may be struggling with an alcohol problem, we're collecting interviews from current AA members serving in the U.S. and Canadian Armed Forces to share the experience and strength and hope they have found in Alcoholics Anonymous. Today, we'll be talking with Nikki. Nikki, please tell us a little bit about your military background and AA experience. Thank you, Tom. My name is Nikki. I am a Sergeant First Class in the Minnesota Army National Guard, and I have been in for just a little over 18 years now. I am a recovering alcoholic and a proud member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have not had a drink of alcohol or used any illicit substances since December 8th, 2017. Uh, my hope in sharing my parts of my story today is to help someone who can relate to what I've been through, um, try and find the help that they need and become happy, joyous, and free like those of us who are members of this program. Um, I started drinking in my early 20s. I joined the military in 2004 between my junior and senior years of high school. I've deployed twice, once to Iraq in 2007-2008 as a 42 Alpha and once to Kuwait in 2021 to 2022 as a medic. I've also been full-time in the military as an AGR soldier in the Minnesota Guard since 2008. Um, if I hadn't gotten sober through AA, I would not be in the current rank or position I hold today as a battalion S1 NCOIC in an aviation support battalion. I'm really excited for this opportunity to share a little bit about my experience here and hopefully help a few service members find a solution to their alcohol problem. Thank you. Uh, Nikki, can you tell us when did you start drinking and how did drinking become a part of your life once you started drinking? Yeah, I I had tried alcohol and had gotten drunk on you know several occasions before I turned 21. Um, it wasn't a huge part of my life, actually, until after I got back from my first deployment. Um, I wasn't drinking in high school when I decided to join. But when I got home from my deployment to Iraq, I was in a state of like hurt and confusion. So I had, you know, no idea what my future was going to look like. Um, and I was in a relationship while I was deployed. I was engaged to another service member that was on the deployment with me. And he broke off the engagement about a month before we came home. So my future was very unknown. And the breakup brought up a lot of insecurities in my life. And on that deployment to Iraq, I turned 21. So when I got home from deployment, I had this realization like, oh, I'm 21. I can drink in bars. 
And that's essentially what I did for the next 10 years because, you know, I had the access at that point. And uh, yeah, it took a while for for it to really become a problem. And then for me to realize that it was a problem. But um, for me, it, you know, it wasn't I took my first drink and I just knew that this is, you know, something that was going to be super important to me. It didn't it didn't play a major role in my life until my 20s. So did you fear about hurting your career, for example, losing your security clearance or, you know, job impact uh, when you realized you needed help and you came into AA? Absolutely. Um, I took the anonymity of AA very seriously when I first got in. Um, cause I, I, I didn't know anything about it. Right. I thought I had to be anonymous and I couldn't let people know that I was in AA. And I thought, well, how did people ever find out about AA before the internet, you know, before they could log on and find a meeting in 30 minutes down the road, you know, but um, I did not share my sobriety with anyone at work initially uh, because I was afraid of the repercussions. You know, I, I am a, I am a security clearance manager in the military. And so I know what kinds of things happen um, for people to get their clearance taken away. And that's my, it's my livelihood. It's, you know, my job Monday through Friday. I, this is what I do. So I was very afraid to talk to anyone about it. This is what I would tell someone. As far as your career goes, it's not getting into AA or going to treatment or getting sober that's going to hurt you. It's the continued use, the continued drinking or use of illicit substances. That's what's going to hurt you in the long run. Most leadership, in my experience, most leadership are extremely understanding of soldiers who want to get help for themselves. If they're not supportive, that's why there exists a chain of command. When you when one door closes, that other, you know, every commander has an open door policy. It's in the regulation. They have to have it. So if you're getting the door slammed in your face or being told you're going to be punished or, you know, not promoted or not get this PCS move that you want or something because of a disease that you have, you have grounds to fight that. And the wonderful thing about AA is that it's anonymous. Nobody is going to find out unless you tell them or unless you see someone else that you know in the program, which, oh, by the way, they have to follow the anonymity as well. So that was one of my biggest fears coming in. I thought, oh, my gosh, what if I know a bunch of people in there? Well, if I knew them, they that means they're also alcoholics and they're my people. And that's OK. So don't let your fear of negative consequences on your career stop you from getting sober because it is worth it. It's the drinking that will kill you, not getting sober. All right. So is there anything else that you would like to share or to say to a service member who's struggling now and listening to this and has an alcohol problem? What I would want to say to anyone listening to this is if you're listening to this, you're probably an alcoholic and there is a solution to your problem. 
If you don't find it in AA, please just go look someplace else. So if you're just curious about it, you know, find an open meeting on AA, on any AA website in your area. Go to an open meeting, find somebody, start talking to them, start asking questions, get curious, and, you know, just give it a try. Just see what happens. That's what I would say. Thank you very much, Nikki, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. Thank you, Tom. I'm at the very wit's end. Cuckoo. An historic shot snort from June 1958. It was W.C. Fields who said, I drink to steady my nerves, and sometimes I get so steady I can hardly move. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc., We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.